Turn to Mark chapter 5, if you will. I've selected this passage of Scripture because um, the man that we're going to talk about in relation to his um, interaction with Jesus was a demon-possessed man. And, you know, it's nothing, nothing at all to, to laugh about, really. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting the week of Halloween for us to talk about somebody who had a demon. Because I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of demons the last few days. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're not real. They're just dressed up with demons and, and like demons. But listen, I'm glad to know that we as the body of Christ have authority over all demonic powers and authorities. We don't have to be afraid or frightened in any way. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God within us. Amen. Uh, tonight, we're going to interact with a lot of people. Many of them will be good Christian people that uh, have similar beliefs that we have. And, and uh, they will look familiar to, uh, to us. But we're also going to interact with some people tonight that don't have a clue what it means to serve Jesus Christ. And they'll show up looking like this, that, and the other. And one of our responsibilities is not to be judgmental of them, but rather to love them in a way that can be transformational to their lives. We have a responsibility before us this evening. And the good news is, is that we're up for the challenge, amen? Because we don't operate in a natural realm of strength, but in a spiritual realm. Uh, sense, and I believe God's going to help us to reach some people. So at any rate, I want to talk to you this morning about loving like Jesus would love them. You know, there are some people in this world that it's hard to love them, and the only way that we're able to love them really is to love them with the help of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the Spirit of God, there are some people that I don't know if I could love them or not. But when I think about how Jesus loves me and loved me when I was unlovable and can still be pretty unlovable some days, but I can take that love because the Spirit of Christ is in me and I can apply that love to other people. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments about loving like Jesus loves. And so there, let's open with this statement. Uh, a writer by the name of Brandon Cox said this. He said, loving people Jesus style. Well, my computer just went off. Now, how does that happen? Loving people Jesus style means looking for an opportunity to show love to a person, no matter how de undeserving they may be, in ways that leave a profound impression about God's best loving intention for his or her life. In other words, it's easy to love people that are easy to love, but it's hard to love people that are seemingly unlovable. So today I want to talk to you about this idea of loving like Jesus loves. Now we'll get to the scripture in three different sections this morning. I'll read it to you. But I want to share with you the first point that I want to make this morning, and it is simply this. The first thing that we must do if we're going to love like Jesus loved is that we're going to have to love, and we're going to have to look for the next person to love. Now, we all have people in our lives that we're very comfortable with them. We love them. 
they're our family, they're our friends, they're people that are close to us, and we just like to have them close to us. But there are people that we need to be loving that we may not have yet come in contact with. And we need to be looking for the next person to love. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm not suggesting that you leave your spouse now and go find a boyfriend or a girlfriend and love someone different. That's not what I'm talking about. We all have committed relationships that we are in, and we are to remain within those loving relationships. But what I'm talking about is our circle of influence where God is constantly adding people into our circle so that we can share with them the love of Christ that he has shared with us. Now, Jesus had no problem at all drawing a crowd. If you look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, it says he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. Now, Jesus had no problems at all getting a group of people to come and listen to him. He was very good at that. But I've noticed in Scripture that some of the most intense and personal ministry that took place through Jesus took place in small groups. He called 12 disciples, and he poured himself into 12. There were times that he would walk out of his way in order to come in contact with people that other people would not have anything at all to do with. Sometimes God is calling us to minister to those kinds of people, to reach out to people that no one else really wants to have anything to do with. And so we have to be looking for this next person. It might be the individual down the street from you. It might be your next door neighbor. It might be the guy that lives in the backyard. It might be a homeless person down the, that, that lives in close proximity to you. It may be an individual at your place of employment that no one else really wants to have anything to do with, but you feel drawn to them so that you can show them the love of Christ. So we have to sometimes leave the crowd in order to find the one that Jesus wants us to minister to. We like crowds, don't we? I mean, we, you know, we've got churches these days that run multiple thousands of people. I just read this week that Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church ministers to over 25,000 people every weekend in multiple locations, 19 different locations. That's a lot of people. But I could just about assure you that, that the best ministry that comes out of him is not among the masses of faces that he does not know, but among those that he is close to and has relationships with. I'm not against big churches. I thank God that we have churches uh, that are ready to receive the end time revival that is going to take place upon the face of the earth. But neither do I look down upon small churches that are doing a different kind of ministry that large churches cannot do because of personal relationships. 
And so what I'm saying to you is that there are times that we have to get our eyes off of the numbers and get our eyes off of the crowd and somehow seek out that one individual that maybe no one else is talking about, that no one else is talking to, that no one else is giving love to. We've got parents in our church that are single parents. There, we've got mothers that are raising children without fathers. And we also have fathers who are raising children without mothers. And what a wonderful thing it would be for individuals in the church who are beyond their child-rearing days to reach out to those people and say, hey, we're taking our grandkids or we're taking our children and our family to the pumpkin patch and we were wondering if maybe your kids would like to go with us and share the day with us. What an amazing thing that could happen for these people just by reaching out and sharing love with them. So if we're going to love like Jesus loved, we've got to be willing to look <clears throat> for the opportunities and seek out those who need love. I'm always reminded of the woman at the well that Jesus went out of his way in order to minister to her. Nobody else was talking to her. He wasn't even supposed to be talking to her, but he determined that she needed a spiritual touch that only he could provide. And so he reached out to her and he loved her. So the first thing is we need to look for the next person to love. The second thing is, is that as the body of Christ, we must look beyond our personal prejudices. Now listen, we all have them. When I was a kid growing up, I grew up in a little farming community, El Dorado, Illinois. There was not one black person that lived in that community of farmers, not one. And the first black people that I ever interacted with in a personal way was when I went to college and interacted with others that were there from different ethnicities and different backgrounds than me. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that people are people. We're all made by the hand of God. We're all made in the image of God, and it has nothing to do with the color of our skin. It has everything to do with having been built and created by a master creator. But we all have prejudices that we have to somehow push back. I know people who are, are frightened when they see a homeless person. They're afraid that this individual can do harm to them. I know people who are afraid of others who have mental illnesses that they are dealing with. I know some uh, that uh, are, are afraid of people that have records and have spent time in jail. You may not know this today, but we have people in our congregation this morning that have spent time in jail. They were incarcerated for crimes committed. But I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you? Who can bring them from that time and that place in their life and restore them to what God intended for them and they can become not only productive members of the church, but productive members of society. 
But there are people that are afraid to death. I get tickled at these. They put a sign up on Facebook. There's somebody that broke out of prison and they might be coming to your house today. And they live the rest of the day scared to death or three days scared to death until they come back on TV and say, oh, by the way, we caught him 24 hours after he got out of jail. And you just wasted three days sitting in your house with your your body armor on afraid somebody was going to come get you. Listen, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. We have to sit around and be afraid of that kind of thing. I know people who are afraid from, uh, of other people or from a different region of the world. I remember several years ago when uh, we had 9-11 and, and there was this uh, newfound revelation that there are people in the United States that are here to bring harm to us. And I had to do some flying shortly after that. And I got on an airplane uh, with a group of pastors and ministers, and we were going uh, to do some mission, and some mission work, and sitting right up in front of us were a couple of people that looked suspicious to me because of the way they were dressed and the way that they looked and from the nation that they were from. And we were so intimidated by that that we came up with our own little plan. That if they wanted to get up and go to the bathroom, we'd be okay with it if they went to the back bathroom. But if they start going forward, one of us had been elected to go up there and take them down right in the middle of the hallway. It was not rational at all. They were actually very nice gentlemen that we got to know later. But because of what was happening in the world, we had this prejudice against them. I know that there are people who they look at other religious people and, they, and they, they are intimidated by them or they set them aside because they're Muslim or they don't want to interact with them because they're Mormon and they don't want to talk to them if they're Jehovah's Witness. Or I know some people that they don't even want to talk to them if they're Baptist because we get in our own little religious world and we're afraid that if we communicate with them that something on them is going to rub off on us and therefore we like to stay with our own kind. Well, the last time I checked, our own kind is the people of God who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with all people regardless of their color, their nationality, or their religious background. And then, of course, their different ethnicity. I just love taking members into the church that are from a different country from ours. You say, I don't know about that. we got to build walls, you know, and we gotta, we got to keep the immigrants out. And we gotta, Listen, there is a legal and a proper way to make the United States your home. And when that process is followed uh, and they become citizens of the United States and they are one of us and we've just got to get over ourselves and accept them. You know, years ago in the church, our missions were always, we're going to get a group and go overseas and minister to the foreigners. But what God has done is flipped the table now, and He is sending them to the United States of America, and many people from a different country live next door to you, and they too need the love of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was willing to put His prejudice aside 
And if we're going to love like Jesus loves, we've got to be willing to put our prejudice aside as well. Listen, I'm not trying to suggest to you that you don't take care of yourself and you don't defend yourself and, and you don't be, you know, that you need to be careful when you go to certain areas of town and things because of crime rates and things of that nature. Listen, I'm not an idiot. I understand that the world that we live in can be very dangerous at times and we need to take measures to protect ourselves. Just so that you know, tonight when we gather with all these people on our parking lot, on purpose, there will be people who will be walking around our campground, our, camp our, our campus here, who, who will be carrying uh, uh, firearms. Now, it's not so that they can shoot all the goblins. But if something were to happen, we would be prepared to try to protect ourselves as best we can. What you don't know is, is that every Sunday morning when you come in here to worship, we have people that are sitting in our congregation. I won't tell you who they are. You don't need to know who they are. But if someone comes in here, then we have ourselves covered in the event that we need that kind of protection. So I am not trying to say that our world is so safe and that we can accept everything that there is to accept. But what I am saying is, is that when we build up prejudices against people, when we have no reason to do so, they have not proven themselves to be dangerous in any way. They have not proven themselves to be different in any way. <clears throat> but we don't like them simply because they look different and feel different. Then the problem is not theirs. The problem is ours. So we must be willing to put our prejudices away. Thirdly, we've got to move toward messy ministry. Now, I stole this statement from another pastor. I liked it so much, I decided to incorporate it today. We've got to move toward messy ministry. How many people do we have in the house today that if you get something weird on your hands or messy on your hands, that it creeps you out? Can I see your hands? It's like, I, I, I just don't like that. You know what you do when that happens? You go and you try to get it off just as soon as you can. This morning, I got something on my finger, and it was weird. I didn't like it. I, I wanted it gone. I asked Donna, I said, do you have a napkin or anything like that? And she said, I don't have anything. I had to keep that on my finger until I could get to a place to wipe it off. I don't like messy stuff. But you know what I've discovered about ministering to people? is Sometimes it gets pretty messy. And I've discovered that in the United States, particularly, we like to keep our world sanitized. I get real tickled at people who are Christian people called to be witnesses of God who put Facebook memes on there that says, this person is stressing me out and therefore I don't want them to be a part of my life anymore. I wish they'd just walk away and leave me alone. But let me ask you, what if God has brought that person to you to minister to? 
What if God wants you to live differently than you are currently living? What if God wants you to get out of your comfort zone so that you can help that individual in a way that only you can? Listen, every blessing that God has ever placed upon your life has been placed upon your life because he wants you to use it to help someone else. Now, Mark chapter 5 Let's look at verse 1 through 5. It says, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, how many of you would want to hang out with a guy like that? I didn't think I'd see very many hands go up there. Verse 6 through 13, it says, And when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of you, man. Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, What is your name? He's speaking to the demon. And he replied, My name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now... I'm talking about messy ministry. It started with demons. Not just one, but according to Scripture, multiple demons who took up residence in this man. They started screaming and shrieking. Do you like to be around people that scream and shriek? I mean, I don't know. I, I can handle the screaming every now and then. But for shriekers... I don't know. I just don't like it. It bothers me. It hurts my eardrums. It's like I'd rather them shriek next to you than than to shriek next to me. But the Bible says that they're screaming and they're shrieking. And I know some churches about that time who would have called for the ushers and said, get that person and get them out of here because they're interrupting our service. They're interrupting, interrupting our comfort zone. Get them out of here. But instead, Jesus was not intimidated by the demons. 
And he was not upset by the shrieking. And here's the reason. Jesus knew that there was something spiritual that was going on that needed to be dealt with. There was a dilemma going on in this man that nobody else could remedy except him. And so he had to get his hands messy. He had to get dirty. So what I'm suggesting to you today is rather than saying on Facebook, I'd rather all these weird people leave me alone. I'd much rather see the church say, Lord, it's the weird people that need the gospel more than the people at my church. It's those who are out there struggling through life who need someone who is filled with the Spirit of God like me to be able to bring a message of hope and healing to their lives. I don't want you to raise your hands. Because we don't want to see whether this is true or not. But I just want to ask you, when's the last time that you witnessed to someone? When's the last time that you led someone to Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about your own kids. I'm not talking about your own family. I'm talking about somebody you don't even know. When's the last time? That you approach them with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died and kept saying, well, pastor, isn't that your job? It's my job to the extent that I am a Christian like you are. I was saved the same way that you were saved, by faith in Jesus Christ. By grace, I didn't earn it. My salvation is no more important than your salvation. I am called to preach and to teach. And one of the things that I am called to do is to teach you the ways of the Spirit so that you will be equipped to do the working of the ministry when you are living in the world outside of these four walls. There should be an opportunity in your life where you come up against someone or in, in contact with somewhere and your eyes light up and you, you start feeling inside, oh man, this is it. This person needs Jesus. I'm not going to call pastor and see if he'll come over here and lead them to Christ. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to ask them about Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask them about what their relationship is. And if they were to die today and go into eternity, would they be, be prepared uh, to meet Jesus? Jesus Christ. You say, do we do things like that? Isn't that weird? Doesn't the world really kind of not like that kind of stuff? Listen, there are going to be people who spend eternity in hell if we, the church, don't rise up and somehow preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and let them know that he will not turn anyone aside who seeks after him and comes to him. Church, this thing's not about just listening to good music. It's not about just coming to church and getting a good goosebump on. This thing is a lifetime calling. God has called us to be his representatives. We are the ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility to go to people who are lost and undone and love them with Jesus' love so that they can experience Jesus. Here's the problem. Church has been too mean through the years. Oh, bless God, you're going to go to hell. And I'm kind of glad you're going. You haven't been very nice to me. You know, if you're not careful, you're going to split hell wide open. We, we get these mean things. Preachers years ago, they used to just 
just spit and just go nuts and crazy and bless God. If you don't come down to this altar this morning and give your heart to Jesus, you might die before you get home today and go to hell for eternity. And all those things might be true. But listen, when someone feels threatened by someone's tone, they're not really going to want what it is that you have to offer. Oh, but when you with love and tears streaming down your eyes and compassion for their spiritual con- con- concern, if you begin to share with them the love of Jesus Christ, it will make all the difference in the world in your relationship and your ability to minister to them. So God has given all of us ability. He's given us power. He's given us gifting. And he has given it to us so that we can use it to love others to him. So if you have privilege, use it for the kingdom of God. If you have power, use it for the kingdom of God. If you have wealth, don't die with a large bank account. By all means, invest your leftover money into a ministry that will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ long after you're done, gone. Whatever you do, don't get all of your money transferred into cash and put it in in your coffin so that when they lay you in the ground, you'll be able to say, I've got all of my resources right here with me. Listen, it won't get any further than the coffin. Instead, invest. Invested into a ministry, hopefully the Spirit Life Church of God, so that after you're dead and gone and enjoying the streets of glory, that we can be spending your cash to tell other people about the love of Jesus Christ. By the way, we do accept tithing offerings. We've got boxes on the back wall, and we've got an online, you know, place. Uh, I know I don't talk about it all that much because you guys give naturally and because you've been taught to give. But just in case you were wondering, we do. And we do. We, we don't mind at all if you decide you'd like to put the church in your will so that when you die, all of your assets come to the church so that we can use it for ministry in the kingdom of God. I know that some of you have lost your mind, but let me tell you some of the best ministries that can be done is with money that has been willed to the church so that it can be used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all free, but it's part of what I'm talking to you about today. God has given us certain blessings. He's given us privilege. He's given us power. He's given us wealth. He has given us influence so that we can help others. He has given us resources that can be used to build the kingdom of God. And then finally this morning, come help me if you will quit. Mark chapter 5 verses 14 through 20 says, And the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. (laughs) Listen, when he had demons, they were afraid. And when he got sane, they were afraid. They just lived in fear all the time. Then those who had had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, 
The man who had been, who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region, began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Here's my final point. Wherever you go, you should leave an impression of the love of Jesus Christ behind you. We ought to be able to tell where you've been because everywhere you go, people's lives are changed because you've loved them with the love of Jesus Christ. Did you notice how the story changed? When Jesus showed up, everybody was crazy, screaming, shouting, shrieking, demons. Everybody thinks demons sound like that. Oh, I am the legion of Sometimes they just sound like your spouse. Sometimes they just sound like your, your mother-in-law. Sometimes they just sound like your neighbor. So was it a demon? I don't know. Did they go? Well, maybe not. But we know that when Jesus showed up, there was chaos, man. Chaos everywhere. But when Jesus got done doing what Jesus was going to do in that situation, everybody was healed and whole. The man said, man, I haven't felt this good in years. I haven't been free like this ever that I can remember. Please just let me go with you. I, I don't care where you're going. Just let me get in the boat with you. I, it doesn't matter to me. Take me with you. You can make such an impression on people's lives spiritually that they want to be as close to you as they can possibly get all the time. But listen, when they start worshiping you, you got to back them off of that and say, no, I'm not the one you need to be looking to. Now, Jesus was worthy of worship. But Jesus was trying to teach him a principle. And the principle is this. If all you ever do is sit in my presence, if all you ever do is just follow me around, if all you ever do is go to church, if that's all you ever do is just religious stuff, then you'll never be any good to anyone else. You need to go back home. And you need to tell your family what I've done in your life. And peace ruled where chaos had once been. You need to make an impression like that. Don't let the impression that you make be anti-Christ. No. Let it be the love of Christ. So that people remember you forever in their lives. Close with this illustration this week. In fact, it was yesterday. Was yesterday the day it rained all day? Okay. I couldn't get outside. I couldn't do anything, so I just watching a little TV. I ordered ESPN Plus, thinking that I could get the UK game and the UL game, and got it all set up and all that, and went to the to the little icon there, and I'm ready to push on the games and start watching football. And it says this action is not allowed on your television. 
almost lost my sanctification. They say, you got to call technical support. I called Spectrum. I called ESPN. I called Roku. I called anybody who'd listen. And all, Roku said, well, it's ESPN's fault. And ESPN said, well, it's Spectrum's fault. And Spectrum just said, well, no, we'll just send you to another department. I said, I've already been to all the departments I'm going to today. I'm upset, can't watch the games, can't watch UVL, can't watch UK. What can't? So I decided, okay, I'm going to watch the Rifleman. So I turned on the Rifleman, and I'm watching the Rifleman. And I'm sitting there, and Mark, the kid, how many of you know, know what I'm talking about when I say the Rifleman? Oh, hallelujah. The little, the, the kid, Mark, had him a girlfriend. I don't know what her name is, but they were going to go looking for arrowheads. So they got on their horses and they rode out into the country and they're getting off and they're looking at the lake and Mark's sitting there and they're talking about arrowheads and all that. And all of a sudden he got sleepy and he fell asleep, leaned up against a tree and took a nap. The woman's still awake, the girl's still awake, but Mark's taking a nap. Sounds like our homes, doesn't it? The man's taking a nap while the women are up busy doing whatever it is that women do when the men are asleep. And she starts walking out through the woods and all of a sudden she comes upon a, a pit of quicksand. I've never seen quicksand before. I don't know where it is, but it's always on the old westerns. Have you ever noticed that? And she goes into the quicksand pit. Oh, I'm in the quicksand. And then she takes, she starts moving. And when you struggle, the quicksand just sucks you down in there. Ah, what am I going to do? She goes down one more step. Ah, what am I going to do? And Mark, who's leaned up against the tree, taking a nap, he wakes up and he says, Huh, I hear a damsel in distress. He starts running out through the woods and he can't find her, but he's listening for her call. Ah, help me, help me. So she, he, he runs and he gets to where she is and he says, I'll help you. I'll help you. Let me help you. And so he grabs, you be the damsel, okay? And I'll be the man, all right? And he reaches to grab the damsel in distress and pull her from the quicksand, but apparently she was stronger than he. And she pulled him into the quicksand. And they start going down together. And they're down together, down together. So now they both start screaming. He's going, oh, help me, help me, help me. And they're going down, they're going down. Well, Lucas McCain and the sheriff and, and one of the farmers, they said, well, where, where's Mark? Where's the, where's the young lady? Hello. We better go look. So they went out. They're riding through the countryside. They're looking. All of a sudden, they see the two horses tied to a tree, and they stop, and they get off. And they're saying, oh, there's two horses, but we don't see them. Something must have gone wrong. Duh. That's why I love these old shows, because they're not hard to figure out. You know what I'm saying? they got to be close by. And they're looking around. They're looking around. They're looking around. And Lucas sees a set of footprints about the size of a young girl. And he says, oh, I see that she has made an impression with her foot on the ground. Oh, there's another set of footprints 
about the size of a young man, about Mark's foot size, and he's made an impression on the ground. Maybe we should follow the impressions that they have made on the pathway. And so here they go. And Lucas always does this. For those of you who don't know, that's his rifle. He's cocking his rifle just in case somebody needs to get their head blown off. And all of a sudden, And they get supernatural ears. I hear a cry for help. And they start walking faster. They're following the impressions. Until finally they they see them in the quicksand. Take the rope that Lucas was smart enough to bring. He says, Mark, be still, son. I'm coming to save you. Mark's going, please hurry. We're going down. Now, if I'd have been there, I would have taken the rope. I would have thrown it to them and then pulled them out. But instead, Lucas says, and he goes over to the edge of the quicksand. And he tells the farmer, he said, get ready to pull me out. And he grabs Luke Mark's hand and Mark gets the young girl and he pulls them out and they go, oh, thank you. We were almost gone. And then all of a sudden you showed up and we're free. And what's the moral of this story? moral of the story is a pastor needs to find different shows to watch, obviously. What's that? <laughs> Here's the story. They were saved because of the impressions that were left behind that caused somebody to see where they needed to go to produce a positive result in what was a devastating situation. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There are people in your life, there are people in this community that they are dealing with devastating things in their lives. They're going down and they're going down fast. And if they don't find Jesus Christ, they're not going to make it. And the only way that I know that they can come to Christ is if they hear the voice of someone declaring who Jesus is and what he is able to do in their lives. Tonight we get an opportunity. This is not about candy. It's not about trunks and all that will be fun. Oh, we're going to laugh so much tonight. We're going to have so much fun this evening. But always remember that why we do this is not just so that we can party, but that we can somehow let people know that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. 
And he came to die for the sins of this world. Look, I don't expect to see you laying people out in the spirit on the parking lot. I don't expect to see the, the ushers running in to get the rags so that we can throw them over them while they're laying in the pot. I don't expect to see that. But what I am hoping for is that somehow you can impress upon somebody's mind and life and spirit that there is hope for their circumstance. There is hope for their situation. And that hope is not in the candy. That hope is not in the beans and cornbread. That hope is not in the apple pies as good as they're going to be. That hope is in Jesus. He's the one we represent. Amen. Stand with me if you will. I'd like to ask every individual if you'd come forward today and just stand in this altar right in front of me. We're going to pray together and we're going to dismiss from here. But I want everybody in the church, if you feel comfortable, if you'd be willing to do it, I want you to come. I give myself away. I give myself away so you it up this morning early. We've been doing this event for seven years. Can you believe that? <laughs> seven years. And every year we've been able to make an impact on somebody's life. 